cross the streams. Excuse me, Egon. You said crossing the streams was a bad. Cross the Stream, Season 2, Episode 2. Kip Ione, Kane Ione with you again. Uh, still in the middle of March Madness, Kane, so I don't think we can jump into our other scheduled stuff for this week's episode without a couple of updates on two different brackets. One, the real one, and two, maybe more importantly across the world, your names bracket. You and your wife, Carrie, did an amazing thing putting your firstborn's name up for play on the March Madness bracket, give us the give the listeners an update. Generic, you don't have to give the names away, but that had to be a tough weekend for you watching some favorites fall. Boy, I tell you what, this has added a whole nother element of March Madness, just craziness and frenzy. Obviously, as you're filling out your own brackets and you you, you start to lose teams, you get upset. But when you start corresponding those teams with the names of your child, the potential names of your child, it just adds to the depth of which you get upset. And this year's tournament, for whatever reason, just happened to be one of the craziest tournaments so far. Yes. With the upsets. I mean, you look at that South region, and it is an absolute mess. And my name bracket is (laughs) just as much of a mess. There are some favorites that went out early, and it's unfortunate, but we did kind of build in making sure our favorite names had a couple teams represented, so that saved a couple of them, but one in particular is now completely off the board because of these uh, higher seeds getting knocked out early. You guys are 100% committed to that. Oh, we're committed. Let's say the name was Annie. And it's Annie's not coming back on the table after <laughs> Annie, what happened in the South. Yeah, Annie's gone. Well, let, you know what? I, I don't need to keep any of these names secret. Okay, right. I mean, I'll just I'll just fill you in that there was uh, Leilani oh. was one of our favorite names. Yeah, and not only did we give her initially two teams, but after the first time, she was represented by Arizona. Right, Arizona right. goes out to Buffalo, and I got upset. <laughs> I was not happy about it and briefly looked at the bracket and I noticed that by mistake we had entered, I want to say Hadley twice and didn't mean to do that. Okay. So it allowed us to enter Leilani for the third time. Oh. And yet she is still out. <laughs> so when that happens, you just go, you know what? It wasn't meant to be. Oh. Leilani was not meant to be. Maybe for another child, a future child down the road, or if someone wants to take that name and run with it, great. It's a great name. But unfortunately, due to our, our bracket madness, Leilani will not be the name of our daughter. I mean, I can I've seen you watch games, you know, in a calm <laughs> manner, but also in a in a way that a fan does when your teams are involved. So I can imagine you guys watching Leilani's teams. Not go, not play well. I bet it was loud. I bet there was some choice words. Oh boy, Carrie got up and walked out of the room a couple different times. <laughs> um, specifically, the the Arizona game. Uh, I was not happy because I had Arizona winning the whole thing and just my bracket in general. Yeah, and then uh, to top of that off, I had her. You know, obviously Leilani pegged with Arizona, and so yeah, I was throwing pillows which is my go-to when I get upset, I throw pillows because they're at least they're soft items. <laughs> but um, the, the coaching voice came out multiple yeah. times and it was just, it was obscene. I'll be honest. It was not I a very mature like, sight. I feel like this bracket that you guys have, the name bracket is that the very minimum deserving of like a KGW news channel, eight local news story. <laughs> like look at these two people. Here's what yeah. they did. You want to talk about March madness, lunacy, <laughs> Their firstborn's identification for eternity is up for grabs. Yeah, and they're counting on Sean Miller to pay people enough money to win a game <laughs> against Buffalo, and it didn't go their way. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. It's my. It's not quite national news, but oh. it's important enough to get a puff piece on local news. Yeah, man. Maybe via this podcast. Yep. Word gets out, and the next thing you know, they're they're. They've got our baby I own name game mania somewhere on, on the internet for everybody to I, see. I feel like you need to send the bracket as is right now to uh, myself and Kelly, the aunt and uncle. And yeah. We need to dive into this ourselves and really get because it, I mean, that leads us into the state of March Madness right now with all the upsets. 
I got nobody left in the tournament. I had Xavier winning the damn thing. So did Kelly. So did Leah in our house. That yeah. went by the wayside thanks to Florida State, which who knew they played basketball at Florida State. <laughs> and I mean, really, the tournament in general, Lincoln and I are going to the Final Four, and we're nervous. We're going to end up seeing Loyola Chicago versus uh, God knows who when we're there. And it, like we mentioned in the last broadcast, everyone loves the concept of the upset until the second weekend. And you look at like, I'm not really going to watch Loyola Chicago and Nevada. No, I don't care. No, that that's a typical NIT game in most years. Yes. Not the actual NCAA tournament. No. Not the Sweet 16 game. That should be a normal year, a play-in game. The first four-in type game. Not a Sweet 16 game. So I'm with you, man. I was looking at the, uh, what is it, the Atlanta bracket. So those people that, that bought tickets in Atlanta for the Sweet 16 that now get to see, who is it, Kansas State? Oh, in Kentucky, right? In Kentucky is, is their only hope in yep. Loyola, Chicago, in Nevada. Mm-hmm. I'd Not imagine the they're going to have a 14. hard time putting butts in the seats in the Falcons' new arena as many big blue fans as there will be for kentucky k-state's not exactly a basketball powerhouse no nevada and loyola chicago i mean remember when john calipari when the bracket came out was talking about how he got screwed really yes. did you <laughs> did you really it turned out pretty well buddy <laughs> all you gotta oh, do man. is get by the fight in kansas state wildcats yeah. And right. then you play the winner of Loyola, Chicago, and Nevada. I would challenge me? our listeners, and we got sports people that listen to us, coaches, et cetera, to name three players combined on the rosters of Kansas State, Nevada, and Loyola, Chicago. <laughs> That's my challenge because I, I guarantee you everybody's going to say, well, Nevada has those twins. Give me their names because I don't know. <laughs> I know I know it's the twins. <laughs> exactly. Loyola, Chicago, no idea. Kansas State, Zero. the fighting Bruce Weber's. And I didn't know Bruce <laughs> Weber was coaching at Kansas State until I saw him on the sidelines. And I'm in the industry. <laughs> There's no question. I'll tell you what, what's cool about this name game thing is there are certain teams that are left in the brackets uh, that I would normally not root for. Oh, okay. Remember, you know, we talked about that on the, on the previous mm-hmm. podcast. Wisconsin's, Duke, even Gonzaga's come to the point where I don't like to root for them anymore. <laughs> they yeah. used to be a Cinderella team. Now they're they're one of those teams that just you're, you're like, ah, it's hard to root for those guys. Yeah. Uh, but now Gonzaga is tied to a team or to a name that I happen to really like. Well, you got to so be all in on the Zags. I'm rooting for the Zags. I'm all about the Zags. Duke. Yeah is actually a team that I, I was like, you know what, I'm I'm usually not going to root for Duke, but I put them with a name that I actually don't mind. It's original. Yeah. It's something different. So Duke I might actually root for. I'm definitely rooting for him against Syracuse because Syracuse is time to a name that I absolutely can't stand. Somehow Syracuse keeps winning and is driving <laughs> me nuts. Well, here's the deal with Syracuse. And once again, take this from a coach who cannot hold Tom Izzo's jockstrap, no question about it. However, they have played Syracuse before. You've played Jim Beheim over the course of their 40-year Hall of Fame careers, <laughs> and yet they still didn't have a plan or a means of getting off decent shots against the zone. And, my, and this is from somebody that I got stymied by zone myself this year by a rival of ours. However, I don't have nine assistants. <laughs> I do not have a lottery pick in Miles Bridges. So I would just say that I watched that game with a high level of frustration for the co- for Coach Izzo because I, 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 I wanted Michigan State to beat Syracuse. I don't like watching the zone destroy everyone. But mm-hmm. it, then it also leads to the announcers telling us over and over and over how hard it is to play against the zone. The zone is driving me nuts. <laughs> defense is driving me crazy. And I get sick and tired of hearing them how, yes, defense wins championships. I get that. But you got to score points in order to really win. Let's be honest. When it's all said and done, you've got to score more points than your opponent. Granted, if you hold your opponent to less points, that, that helps. But you still got to put the ball in the basket. Yeah. Virginia comes to mind. Cincinnati comes to mind. Oh. These pack line defenses that were so great throughout the year held opponents under 60 points, 57 points, whatever it was, but they couldn't score the ball 
and UMBC of all teams made that yeah. Virginia pack line defense look silly in the second half. I'm sorry, but the quality of games so yeah. far, I'm not a fan. I, 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 it's brutal to watch when you look at halftime scores that say 21 to 21, yeah. or you look at halftime scores and teams are struggling to get over 30 points. Come on, what are we doing? It's, that's it's uh, brutal. Yeah. I would say there there was a thread uh, on social media during the tournament, um, and we'll get into our tweet of the week segment coming up on a different topic. But that talked about with the parity in college basketball, a lot of the mid majors are playing a lot more drive and spray style offense than the big boys. And drive and spray, whether it's via ISO one on ones, get in a gap read the defense and kick it for three or it's off ball screens getting a gap kick it for three that's balanced the playing field and when they go up against some of these big boys that are used to guarding the hell out of the paint and guarding the hell out of you know size they really have no idea what to do with these air raids going over mm-hmm. their heads like uh, buffalo versus uh, arizona. Yeah, arizona umbc versus virginia the run Nevada put on Cincinnati when they were down 22, and Cincinnati's a great defensive team. So it really is kind of a, the offense combined with the talent dispersion across the game has made those mid-major teams a lot more entertaining to watch. The yeah. big boys are not as not as it doesn't mean they're playing bad basketball. Well, it's not it's not crowd pleasing basketball. By any means. And with that being said, I just wanted to, to touch on a, on a narrative that's out there. This idea that the NCAA tournament or NCAA men's basketball, college basketball, is so much better to watch than the NBA is completely bonkers to me. The NBA is phenomenal, especially this era of NBA basketball. With LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and we'll get into all the names and and how great the NBA is later on in in this podcast. But to actually sit and watch the NCAA tournament and tell me that that's better basketball than watching the NBA is absolutely crazy. I understand that the NCAA, oh, they're playing so hard. They're they're just they're playing for their school. They're playing for this. They're playing. They're not playing for money. They're not these greedy, selfish, whiny NBA players. That doesn't make it great basketball. I'm sorry. Just because they're diving for loose balls, just because there's 15 fouls because they're playing so hard, doesn't make it great basketball. Zone defense doesn't make it great visual basketball. So let's put that narrative to rest. NCAA, again, I love it. This is a great time of year. March Madness is awesome. But don't tell me it's better basketball than the NBA. All right, across the streams, new segment this week. We decided that we're going to use some social media as tools to help this podcast go a little bit, give us some info or some topics to to talk about or discuss on here. So we're going to introduce you to our new segment entitled Tweet of the Week, where we're going to take a a tweet or a Facebook post or anything out there on the social network, uh, but this one just happens to be the Tweet of the Week. And... Kip, you've got a tweet of the week that you're going to mm-hmm. talk about. It's really just a five-minute segment. Whoever yep. finds the tweet or the Facebook post introduces it, talks for about three minutes or so. Next guy gets about two minutes in response to to uh, either question it, discuss it a little bit more, however you want to go about yep. it. But it'll be about five minutes. So, Kip, why don't you take this first one, and, and okay. I'll let you uh, roll. This one comes to us, Twitter, from at... Pam Nanga, P-A-M-N-O-N-G-A. Apologize if I'm saying that wrong. But her tweet that got 5,000 retweets, 15,000 likes, and really hit me, and I sent it to Kane right away. Listening to men talk can be so draining. A lot of them tend to overestimate the value and or originality of their insights, and their lack of emotional intelligence makes them oblivious to nonverbal signs of pure disinterest. And this hit me because, number one, I obviously don't want to be one of those people that is so emotionally dumb that I don't notice my wife completely ignoring me. Um, but it also, I think everyone can kind of relate to there's people like that in your day to day, whether or not they're your friends or anyone else that can get going on a tangent that really you don't want anything to do with. And you might start staring off into the distance 
Uh, you might drop back into a lot of, mm-hmm, sure, yeah, you don't say, and it doesn't stop them from going through with their rant. Um, and in that case, I think we've all been in there. You know, I have a saying here um, that I use with some colleagues of mine. You can get caught in the vortex, a, a conversation vortex with certain people that you encounter, and there's no escape from it. Uh, hopefully that's not happening in too many people's relationships out there, but I'm sure, especially on the male side of things, we can uh, we can really think we're giving or dropping some knowledge when we're probably just regurgitating something we've already heard, read, or is common knowledge already, and we're just last to the party and knowing who said it when it was said and that everybody else knows about it. So this one really struck me, um, obviously internally, trying to avoid that in my day-to-day conversations with people, my family, colleagues, staff members, my players. God help you if you're a coach and you are unable to notice when your guys are tuning you out and not listening to you. I'm sure it's happened to all of us at some point, but you would strive to not let that be the case. Uh, So absolutely made my tweet of the week uh, number one launch. This one was a good one from once again, at Pam Nanga. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, my own take on this tweet is, is right along those lines, especially specifically about what we do professionally, obviously in the relationship realm, which is what I think this tweet initially was yeah. talking about. Uh, yeah, I, I get that a hundred percent. I'm probably even worse on the other end. Not so much me talking too much, whereas I'm the one that, that, is not listening enough. You're the nonverbal signs of pure disinterest. And not necessarily <laughs> that as much as I'm just, I'm the guy that has the TV on in the background, has some kind of distraction. Maybe it's the social media, the phone in my face or something along those lines and trying to do multitask while someone else is talking to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife in particular is trying to tell me about her day and I'm sitting here uh, on the internet or watching TV or something, giving her the impression that I am listening. <laughs> but in reality, it's going in one ear out the other. And then every once in a while nowadays, she'll call me on it and kind of ask, hey, really, wh- what did I just say? What did I really uh, just say? And then I got to come up with something. And so <laughs> that, that's that's a whole nother topic in itself. But as far as uh, on the in the professional realm of things, I think you hit it on the head when you're talking about we've got to be careful as coaches not to think that everything we say is so important to these kids or players that they have to listen. Mm-hmm. They, you've got to give them a reason to listen. You've got to give them the reason to want the information that you have, whether it's the, the new play that you're drawing up, the new defense that we're installing, or it's just life lessons in general. Give your players a reason to listen to you. And a lot of that, I think, is via connection and trust, um, which I think goes hand in hand. That's funny you mentioned that. I just had a captain's meeting before our taping. And the one thing I told these three captains to try to hold me accountable to is, Coach, uh, we don't want to hear about how you did it. We don't want to hear about, oh, when I played and because Mm -hmm. that's how I did it, that's how they should do it. Or that means that my little nugget of when I was a roommate of my teammates – that means it's genuine gold information. No, not not so much. So I'm trying I'm trying to get away from that myself. And I told my captains today, please tell me, coach, 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 coach. No personal stories. <laughs> yep. So, uh, no question about it, man. I, I fell into that trap too many times uh, at Montana State. Obviously, you haven't played there. Similar mm-hmm. to yourself, haven't played at Willamette. Uh, you play there, and, and there's times when your players are genuinely interested. And when you played in your career, uh, but for the most part, as specifically as you get farther and farther away from your career, yeah. away from your the glory days, you've got to find new ways to connect with these kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not going to be via your playing days anymore. And <laughs> that's, uh, that is that is something that we all have to strive to get better at. And along those same lines, that happened probably last week, I believe, where Richard Sherman in an interview on a podcast came out and said that even Pete Carroll, the great coach that is Pete Carroll, even his stories and things that he brings up in team meetings grew old mm. for a lot of these veteran players. Right. Part of the Seahawk organization since Pete Carroll took over. A lot of these things that he tries to bring to the to the uh, table as far as the culture building and things of that nature, 
they grew a little bit stale for these players that have been there long enough to hear all these stories over and over again. So you got to continuously try and recreate yourself, continuously trying to find new ways to connect and make sure what you're saying is relative and, and still important to these players. Yeah, absolutely. Tweet of the week. We'll be back with the next segment. All right, next segment. We're kind of calling this King of the Ring, uh, WWE style, where we want to go through different eras of the NBA. And we got about four or five guys in those eras that at one point or another, somebody somewhere argued for them as the greatest player that ever lived, the greatest player in that era and the new greatest player of all time. Um, and this kind of came out of Kane and I's continual arguing about LeBron and Michael Jordan. Uh, but instead of just doing the same old rehashing of Michael did this, LeBron does that, we thought we'd see the evolution of this best player ever debate because it obviously has been going on for a long time, um, both in the media, I'm sure, in the league and at barbecues and late night drinking sessions of all kinds across the country. Uh, so we found some lists. We got some names per era. And in each round, there'll be a king of the ring that survives to face the people from the next era. Is that right, Kane, how we got it set up? Yeah. Yeah, I think you, you hit it on the head, man. We're trying to we got to go from era to era and figure out who lasts the longest via the eras because I think that, that yep. says something about their game. If everyone says, yeah, well, he was great for every era. It doesn't matter what era he played in. That guy was amazing. Yep. Let's start off in the 50s, and this is hard yeah. because obviously we weren't even in the thought process yet, um, but there's footage, there's stats, there's notes, there's historians, and the names that we kind of settled on that started off in the 50s, if you were like, who's the greatest basketball player that ever lived or is currently playing, they probably would have said in some order, and we'll figure that one out, George Mikan, Bob Cousy, Bob Pettit, and then there's a lot of arguments out there for a guy named Dolph Shays. And I got to tell you, Kane, I'm not real sh clear on who, when, where, how Dolph Shays made that list, but he's in there with the, the other old, guy. The old Dolph Shays, Dolph Lundgren, is the only guy I know with the name Dolph <laughs> right. that was ever really high on my list of greatest anything. And that just is simply the greatest boxer to lose to Rocky Balboa. <laughs> but – Dolph Shays is a is a guy that apparently played from 1950 to 1964 and put up decent numbers, played for, uh, who is it, the Syracuse whatever. And That um, says probably all we need to know since that team no longer exists. Yeah, he's NBA. a 12-time 12, 12 All-NBA player, though. I mean, the okay, guy. So did he make the top, he probably made the top 50 of all time the first round. Think, First round of the uh, 50 greatest players, I believe he was on that list, yes. 18.5 uh, points per game uh, over a, I believe, 14-year career. So that's not bad. You know, yeah, let's, 20, not, let's not let it be – No, let's not let people think we don't think Dolph Shays could play a little bit. Yeah. I'm not going to give him the win of this round. No. He's in there with a Bob Pettit, a uh, um, Kuzi, and George Mikan. I mean, yeah. there's a drill that people still do for bigs called the Mike and drill. So there's not – I've never had my guys do a Shays shuffle or a Shays drill. <laughs> the, Dolph, the Dolph dribble. Yes, never. No, that's never happened. So I'm going to throw him out of the ring. That leaves yep. us with Mike and Kuzi and Pettit. Mike and Kuzi and Pettit. Obviously, Kuzi being the uh, little man of the group. So I'm leaning – I like to lean towards the little guy because I was a little guy myself. But – Unfortunately, I think Kuzi's the next guy to go. Uh, as great as Bob Kuzi was, I don't think Bob Kuzi was Bob Kuzi unless he's with Bill Russell. Right, right. And now, I can't get out of my head the footage, uh, famous footage, Bob Kuzi's dribbling out the clock against the Lakers. Awesome, hmm. right? Uh, honor, like footage that people always think of. The man dribbled the entire way around the court 42 times with his right hand. <laughs> Found every way he could <laughs> to, to go keep right. that ball in his right hand. So, he was a wizard with the ball in yeah. his right hand. And so I'm, I'm with you. I'm out on Bob Cousy as the greatest in the first round of King of the Ring. That leaves us with George Mikan and Bob Pettit. Yes. Yes. <sighs> Pettit, I hear a ton about. You know, I, I hear, oh, don't forget Bob Pettit. Don't forget Pettit. Don't forget Pettit. But I, I, I all I see in my head is George Mikan pictures holding up a championship for the Minneapolis Lakers. 
Mm-hmm. I know Mikan was on the Sports Illustrated cover with Shaq and Kareem as the next, you know, the passing of the torch of Laker greats. And I, I don't have anything in my brain that sticks out like that for Pettit. So my vote would have to go with Mikan. I would agree as much as, and again, Pettit has numbers. He's an NBA champion, 58, St. Louis Hawks in 58. By the way, I've got a, a disgusting Rain Man type ability to go through NBA champions from 58 on. But that's a whole <laughs> different that's a whole different podcast. But Pettit, St. Louis Hawks, makes my list of mental NBA champions. So he he is an NBA champion in my book, in my memory. Um, right. Average 26.4 a game. Over his career, not bad. Uh, that's pretty dang good. Yeah. Um, his PER, if you were to use the yep. metrics of today, like analytics. Yep. Was twenty five point three, which is a decent number. That puts him. Uh, it puts him up there with some of the greats. But yep. George Mikan's PER. Yeah. Twenty seven point oh. There you go. Which puts him relatively close to the top of the list as far as the PER number is concerned yep. and he was at 23 points per game as you as you noted the dude's got a, a drill named after him that is continuously still taught today so i think we lean towards george mike right. mike and king of the ring round one mike and goes forward now the challengers now kate and i envisioned kind of like royal rumble all these people <laughs> running out of the you know the back of the of the state of the arena into the ring so mike and's there doing his mike and drill Right hand off left foot, <laughs> left hand off right foot. And in comes Bill Russell, Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson, and Jerry West from the 60s. Now, obviously, Kareem and Wilt played in the 60s. We're putting them in the 70s. So our 60s challengers for Mike and to maintain the greatest ever is Bill Russell, Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson, and Jerry West. And now I think we're diving into a whole nother class of player. And a lot of respect to George Mikan, but I think we're, we're, we've jumped a tier in ability level with these four but you also get so it it seems to me that the basketball for a long time was was dominated by dominant big men yep and then you start to kind of slide a little bit back a little bit towards your forwards guards with the elgin baylor jerry west of the world Mm -hmm. um but still when you think of the 60s you still think of wilt the stilt and bill russell when it's all Mm -hmm. said and done Mm -hmm. um and as much as I think Jerry West and Elgin Baylor were great uh, individually, they put up some big numbers. I think they're both over 27 points per game over their careers, uh, well over 22 point whatever. And as far as their player efficiency ratings, um, these two guys were really, really good. But unfortunately, they also ran into a problem when it came to winning championships, which is the big way that people gauge greatness is winning games, obviously. And as much as Elgin and Jerry won games, they really couldn't get over the mountain that is Bill Russell and the Boston Celtics. And I think that very specifically knocks them out because he did it. Like, what was it, seven times, six out of seven, seven out of eight times? Yes. Those two or at least one of them in the title? Yes. uh, I think they have to leave the ring leaving us with Bill Russell and Oscar Robertson. And that, like, I think Oscar, the big O for a long time, hey, that's a triple-double guy. And yeah. that's phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. Amazing. But when Westbrook did it for a whole year again in this era, I don't know if that – that doesn't mean Oscar was any less great, but I think it lessened his claim to fame and the thing that made him unique in all these arguments. Because now Westbrook did it, and he was a little bit smaller. Now, the, the only thing with that being said is – Apparently, they didn't even keep track of triple-doubles when Oscar was playing. And so with that being said, Oscar would have done the same thing. I believe that they said this uh, article I read, four other seasons that he would have averaged. Multiple years. Yes, including his rookie season, which is is saying quite a bit. But I still don't think you can move Oscar on just because of the simple fact that Oscar – couldn't care as much as he was great. He, I can, I do. I consider him kind of the Westbrook of his time, yes. where he was uh, just a freak individually. Did everything he could to carry his team, but couldn't get over the top until he finally got help uh, via Lou Alcindor. And Meanwhile, don't you think Russell, and the difference I think between the two of them, if we're saying Russell and Oscar, like you never hear stories of God, Oscar was a terror defensively. 
boy, yeah. he'd get after you. <laughs> you yeah. don't hear that story. But you hear about Bill Russell dominating games with blocks and rebounds and throwing in 18 a game. Correct. But literally changing series with blocks, rebounds, steals, and his ability on that end of the floor. So that's, that's why I would lean Bill. I, I agree 100%, man. Bill Russell did anything he had to for them to win games and win championships. Obviously, the 11 championships speaks for themselves, but you, you throw in the fact he averaged 22 and a half rebounds per game over the course of his career. That's ridiculous. And then threw on 15 points just to, just to say he could score. And then, like you said, his yeah. defensive prowess. Uh, the fact that he played in the same era as Wilt Chamberlain, um, and Wilt and basically held Wilt from winning championships. Uh, that to me says Bill Russell was the greatest player of his era in the sixties. Yep. King of the ring fifties and sixties combined. Now we got Bill Russell coming out of those two uh, took down his compatriots in the sixties, took the title from George Mikan. And now one of the guys you already mentioned in the seventies, even though he was a force in the sixties, we've got a couple of those Wilt and Kareem step into the ring. Lou Alcindor slash Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Will Chamberlain. We also went with Dr. J, Julius Irving, even though some of that times in the ABA was still uh, as an explosive wing, kind of revolutionary in that realm. And then a guy that probably doesn't get enough credit. Um, even when we were talking about who we should put in here, we debated, does anybody know who this is enough to have him in? But he was pretty damn good. The big E, Elvin Hayes. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I think this this decade, you have to start by talking about Lou Alcindor. Uh, who later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, but you talk about a guy that really dominated the scene of basketball for the longest time, talking all the way back from his UCLA days mm-hmm. uh, to going towards uh, Milwaukee Bucks and bringing Oscar Robinson his first first NBA championship in 71. The numbers speak for themselves, and I don't think people give uh, – Kareem or Lou Alcindor enough credit for the numbers that he was putting up at a young age in his NBA career and longevity throughout his career. This guy was something special. Uh, All time the least. history of the league invented a shot that has that probably not aside from being unguardable. Cause I think you could argue Jordan Kobe fadeaway is also unguardable, mm-hmm. but no one's been able to copy the sky hook. Ever. Yes. That's a great point. You that's know, a great so, point. Production offensively unquestioned. How many championships does Kareem have? Is it six? Four? He has six. See, he has and six. I think that's probably you ever like when you hear from Kareem. Kareem's kind of pissed off. Like Kareem's <laughs> kind of like, man, nobody pays attention to me because you either talk about Russell's eleven, Jordan's yep. six. Magic always gets credit for being a winner. He's got five. Okay, mm. people talk about Bird's a winner. Does Bird have three? Or Bird's two, got three. He's got right? three. And everybody's like, but then we forget that Kareem's got the most points ever and ever. six titles. That and very exactly. rarely gets in the conversation. Let me just list some of his accomplishments over the course of his Hall of Fame career. Okay. He talked about career leader in points, thir- yep. I think 38,000, yep. 38,000 plus, which equates to about 24.6 per game over the course of 1,560 games in his career. Shooting 56 He's basically shooting yes. a Mikan drill as a jump shot. As a jump shot. As the, the fadeaway jumpers from the uh, top of the key was a hook right. shot for him. And he shot at 56% as far as career field goal percentage. 72% from the line. 19-time All-Star. 6-time NBA champ. 11-time all-defensive player. So a lot of you out there are, are will, will argue that Kareem never played defense. Yeah, you probably watched him when he was 40 years old. Yeah, Not many people yeah. play great defense at that age. But if you go back in time and watch him as a young player, he was an 11-time all-defensive player, two-time finals MVP, including his uh, 1971 Milwaukee Bucks when he took them to the NBA title along with Oscar, but was the dominant force of that team by far. Six-time MVP, six times. Yep. All NBA 15 times. Led the league in block shots four times. I mean, yep. <laughs> what more could you ask for? I can see why he's mad. It, because I, he's 100% probably underappreciated uh, to an extent that really nobody else is. Uh, for that level of dominance not to be celebrated the way 
other guys with maybe lesser resumes are celebrated is absolutely. I mean, he's clearly better than Dr. J. We knocked Dr. J out of here. Yes. Yes, I agree. Unfortunately for Dr. J, he played a lot of his prime years in the ABA. Have you ever seen footage of Dr. J shooting the ball? No, I have not. It's always just the finger rolls and the the, uh, highlight dunks. Yep. I'm going to take Wilt out because Kareem's got better numbers in every category. Even if you want to argue that Wilt was a better athlete, Mm-hmm. Kareem's got better stat numbers in every category. Yes. Is yes. there a number that Wilt wins? Maybe rebounding? I think the one thing that Wilt uh impressive wise was the year that he decided decided that he wanted to lead the league in assists. Right. And because no one said he would he he could pass the ball and he went out and did it, which is to me says the guy was ridiculously skilled ridiculously athletic, obviously for a man his size in that era, he was dominant, but I think lacked uh, just the it factor, whatever that yeah. it factor is, he lacked it, and Lou Cinder Kareem had it, hence the better numbers overall, the better career overall. I'd take Lou Cinder over Will Chamberlain. So now that puts us at Kareem versus Bill Russell. Were they, did they ever match up in the finals? No, no. Lou Alcindor came into the league in, in 69-70. I believe Russell at that last year, Bill Russell as a player slash coach was 69. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I'm going to have – I would have to go with Kareem because of – like you mentioned, he has all the offensive numbers, just destroys Russell in those categories. He also has the – he said six-time All-NBA uh, defense, yes? Yes. So that that takes away the, oh, he didn't play any defense. No, not true at all. He's 11-time. He sorry, 11-time yeah, 11 11-time All-Defense. All and he's got six rings. So he yeah. doesn't have 11, but he's got six and dominant statistical numbers greater than Russell's. So I would I would lean Kareem takes the, takes the ring. I agree. I think uh, Kareem slash Lou Alcindor moves on to the 80s. Now, the 80s is where it gets really fun. So Kareem's still around. Remember, he played till 89. <laughs> last, I mean, he's still there. He's still probably averaging double figures on his sky hook. Magic was taken over. But Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, especially in the early 80s through the end, and then Jordan right around 84, 85, Michael Jordan mm-hmm. enters the ring. And we got another one to throw in there, Moses Malone, we mm-hmm. throw in there that did a lot of bruising and winning for Philadelphia and some other places. So Kareem's got these four and, you know, really Mount Rushmore type guys in Magic Bird and Jordan coming into the ring. And maybe that's part of the reason we don't remember Kareem's greatness is because these three shine so bright, it kind of faded him into the into the background. Yeah, that's a great point. That, that really is. And I think as 80s children growing up, um, we remember Kareem really – what, 87, 88, 89, yeah. the latter yeah. part of his career. Yeah. Where exactly. He was. He had the rec league goggles yep. and the bald head and the, uh, the still had the sky hook that was unstoppable, but he struggled to get up and down the court at times. It just – he wasn't the dominant force that he had been throughout his entire career. Right. And so that's the – unfortunately, that's the shadow of Kareem that we saw. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think this is where his flame goes out a little bit as far as the king of the ring. Agreed. And, you know, I would say, too, that, you know, Moses Malone, as good as he was – what? how many teams did he play for? Three? Four? I believe so, yep. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an issue somewhere, somehow, with Moses Malone, with his greatness. Like, you don't see Magic Bird and Jordan on multiple teams. They're not letting that person go. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan's a self-chosen retirement later on in his life, just coming back to prove I'm still awesome. That's why I'm playing for the Wizards. But yeah. I would take Moses off. Although, you know, the crazy thing is Moses Malone, was he on the Rockets when they took down Magic's Lakers at their prime and the Sixers beat Magic's Lakers? Yes. Um, he was part of that. So, I mean, I'm, I think that those achievements get him into the ring, which a lot of people probably wouldn't have thought for an 80s mm-hmm. guy, you'd say Moses Malone. But I think it comes down to Bird, Magic, and Jordan. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, as great as Moses Malone was, another underappreciated guy. Uh, you take, for example, his 81-82 season. The dude that put up 31 points and almost 15 rebounds a game. Uh, so Moses Malone was a dominant force in his own right. Unfortunately, happened to be playing in the same era as 
the two biggest names in uh, in the NBA at the time, Larry and, and Magic, and mm-hmm. then this young guy coming into the league in '84 by the name of Michael Jordan that instantly uh, passed up a lot of people as far as name recognition and, and just overall popularity. Yeah. So with these, you know, Magic and Bird are intertwined forever with the league as far as saving it and, and driving its popularity. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other podcast. I mean, you've got so many factors, L.A. and Boston, black and white, all these different things. But when it comes down to just basketball with those two, is there, a, is there something that separates one from the other? You know, I, I would, as a Magic fan, I would argue his skill set allowed his team to be better. Bird fans will tell you how great of a passer he was as well. Um, I'm not sure either one of them was ever a defensive stopper. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think Magic could play more positions. You wouldn't see Larry playing one. Magic would play one through four. Larry could probably masquerade two, three, and four, but mm-hmm. he's more comfortable as a wing. So Magic maybe versatility-wise gets the nod. If you're just looking at the numbers, I mean, they're they're so – interchangeable it's ridiculous bird was a better scorer uh, obviously he was a better scorer slash shooter but magic if you say best shooter or better shooter statistically magic shot a better percentage overall in his career that's crazy which is crazy to think about yeah. but it's it's true when you talk about overall field goal percentage magic was at 52 percent. larry was around 49 close to 50 which is still great but mm-hmm. And then you look at uh, everything else. Magic obviously dominated in the assists with 11.2. But like you said, Larry Bird's fans are are going to scream that Larry was a better uh, passer than he's given credit for, which he probably was. But that was Magic's thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Magic getting the best of them when it's all said and done in the uh, three finals appearances that they had against each other, Magic got two out of the three. Yep. And, and Overall, ended up with five NBA championships. Larry with with three. Uh, you could argue Larry getting the injuries that he had. Uh, maybe he goes on to have a better overall career. I, I think I, now here's the question. Mm-hmm. I think there was probably a three-year period, maybe 85 to 88, maybe 86 to 89, where people were like, Magic Johnson is the greatest player in the world. He's the greatest player that's ever lived. When did Jordan – Yep. Start creeping in because the athleticism's never been in question with Michael versus Magic. But when did it? Because I I bet if you go back to those times, Jordan was probably looked at a little bit like Westbrook is now. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's just putting up numbers. They can't win. Was it not till he beat Magic in '91, or was it at some point in the '80s? Because who are we taking forward? Yeah, between Magic and Michael, the '80s version only. The 80s version, and this that's a tough question because Magic was in Bird, uh, did dominate the headlines for the most part. Right. Until really, I would say probably the uh, mid-80s, but I think the latter part of the 80s, early 90s, there was not just whispers. There was actual conversations and debates being had of who was the best player at that time. So is it fair to say it was an early, early, it was a 10-round fight in the 80s? With Magic mm-hmm. winning the first half and then Jordan slowly wearing him down to be the last man standing going into the 90s. I think that would be fair. I think that would be fair to say. When you just so let's look. Go, yeah, let's, and that's hard for me as a Magic fan, but I think it's, I, th- I don't think it's art. In hindsight, you'd go back and argue with your young child self, knock it off. Mm-hmm. Magic can't shoot a jump shot off the bounce. Knock it off. <laughs> So you go to the 90s, we've got Jordan retaining his title, and then you bring in his own teammate, Scottie Pippen, Mm -hmm. Charles Barkley is one of his best friends, and then one of the last bigs, right, Akeem Olajuwon. Yeah, Akeem the Dream. Uh, Akeem the Dream, who a lot of bigs, in the reason I always put the dream in there is so many bigs that played against him talk about how awesome he was. Mm -hmm. So many people, Shaq. Um, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, all those guys talk about, oh, the dream was the best, period, end of discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, Pippen's hard for me, not because I doubt how great he was. I mean, he was damn near the MVP when Jordan retired, right, yep. with his numbers. Mm-hmm. But he was always number two to Michael. So I, I'm not sure how I could ever put him number one overall if he wasn't number one on his own team. I agree 100%. I think Pippen was great. Uh, Hall of Famer, obviously, uh, probably top 25 of all time, if not top 15. But um, as far as an, 
best player in an era, I don't think he ever was in that conversation. So now we're, da- we're just down to the dream versus Jordan. And Jordan mm-hmm. is obviously at the height of his powers throughout the 90s, you know, six titles in eight years. And the only two he didn't get was a seven years when he just decided to play baseball and let you guys have a couple because Akeem got two titles back to back. Yep. So, I mean, between those two, it's it's kind of like the game's evolving towards the perimeter, and Jordan's obviously that guy. Akeem's still post-feed dependent. Like, you got to give him the ball. Michael mm-hmm. can just get it himself. So, I, I, I'm i still going to go Jordan, but I think Akeem Olajuwon's pretty damn good. I agree. I think Akeem doesn't get the credit that he deserves of uh, how dominant of a player he was and how great he was as a center. Though Some of the moves, they still talk about his moves, like you said, as far as Shaq commenting on how great he was. Uh, but it's all said and done. There is no more dominant player of an era than Michael Jordan through the 90s. So this, we're giving him, this is the first guy to win two back-to-back rounds. A guy that won the 80s close over Magic and now pretty thoroughly wins the 90s. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, so he's the all-time player. And now we get to the 2000s. And I these guys we're going to name Shaq, Kobe, Duncan, and LeBron. I think those guys all have an argument for I was the best in the thousands. I don't think anybody ever said, yeah, Kobe's better than Jordan. You know, no. they might have said Kobe's the best player now in 2004. Yes. Kobe's the best player in the league. Great. Let's argue about Shaq. Let's argue about Timmy D. Let's argue about that young kid, LeBron. But nobody ever in the thousands dare said, oh, this guy, he's better than he's better than Jordan. No, I, I th- the only people that would say that were the diehard Kobe fans. Yeah. And they'll still say that. They'll still say that he's the, the greatest player of all time, no matter what kind of statistics you put in front of him that says otherwise – you still have your your Laker and Kobe diehard fans that want to throw his name in the mix of greatest of all time, and it just he just in reality doesn't have an argument. And mm-hmm. I think what you just said is a clear to me, uh, plain as day statement that takes him out of the running for greatest of all time when he was not even really discussed as the greatest of his era. Right. There, as far as just, yes, there's no question that he's the best of this time. I think right. there was always a question mark through that time period of who was the best during this era, during this time. Yeah. Uh, well, there was, you know, in his own team from 2000 to 2004, the Lakers are in three or four finals, three, three-time champs. People yep. still, and I would, I'd be one of them, that Shaq was more important. 100%. And then you take Tim Duncan, who's winning every other year the Lakers don't, and he's doing it with – he's not doing it with Shaqs. He's got Steven Jackson's on his roster. He's got Bruce <laughs> Bowen's on it. You know, you got Nazi Muhammad's. Yeah. yeah, he had Ginobili and Parker, but would anybody in a top 20 draft ever say Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker? The hell, no, you would not. No. No. So, you know, you throw, you throw Tim Duncan's career, a lot of people would say it's better than Kobe's, as great as Kobe was. And now you really just have young LeBron from 2007, maybe, to 2008. People are like, oh, yeah, it's LeBron. LeBron's the best player. Kobe might win that last title with Gasol, but, oh, LeBron's Mm -hmm. better. LeBron does more. You know, his per, all those those analytics are probably pointing LeBron at least four or five of those last years. Yeah. Uh, LeBron, people forget some of the numbers that he was putting up mid-2000s through – now Mm -hmm. Uh, that was some of his uh, when he was playing in Cleveland for the first time with um, the who who is that Uh, Booby Miles or Booby uh, Gibson Eric Snow's carcass Eric Snow when he drug that squad uh, to the NBA finals by himself Verizal yes exactly it was pretty impressive to look at some of the numbers that he was putting up during that time and so I think the argument or case can be made that he was the best of that era, similar to how Jordan stepped in mid-80s and kind yeah. of took the torch, per mm-hmm. se, away from Magic and Bird. He wrestled it away from him, but yeah. he did it. And yeah. I think LeBron, it could be said, did the same thing to the Kobe's and Duncan's and Shaq's of the world. Yeah. Um, and as great as Tim Duncan was, no one – brought his name to the discussion either as far as greatest of all time. Uh, Is it fair he then would, to say 
Jordan's got three three rounds now where he's still considered the great. LeBron gets that era as the best player of the era, mm-hmm. but he still wasn't. Nobody in 2009 said LeBron's better than Michael. No, 100%. So that's another – that's three consecutive rounds for about 30 years, 20 years or so of Michael Jordan, hands down, best player that's ever played the game. And until yes. now, this era we're in now, did anybody really want to challenge that? Mm-hmm. No, that's, and I think that's why we're doing what we're doing, mm-hmm. because that's starting to really make the case for as Jordan as the greatest of all time, hence the nickname that Jordan has, the goat. But with that being said, let's let's move forward now to the 2010s. And then you know I think LeBron, LeBron carries over the best of the era to 2010 era, and now he's got challenges from KD, Kevin Durant, uh, Steph Curry. And maybe last year, Russell Westbrook, you know, Durant's back in the argument now this year, having another great year. Um, personally, myself, never been a question between those four. It's LeBron. I think all three of those other guys have had phenomenal years. Um, I think Steph Curry's kind of re- revolutionized the game with his singular skill set of mm-hmm. shooting from distance off the bounce that nobody can match. Uh, Westbrook obviously averaging the triple-double. Um, in Durant's freakish combination of length with skill, I still don't think any of them measure up to the king. Um, I I really think KD is is pushing him more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And the more you watch KD, the more you start to really appreciate everything that it is that he does. Uh, he is obviously known as just an assassin when it comes to scoring the basketball. Uh, his clutch play has been. Since I think since he got to the Warriors has been phenomenal in these last couple of seasons. Watching that um, before that, you could maybe question it, um, but regardless, the guy is an absolute freak when it comes to like you said his length and skill set. With that length, he's unguardable in my opinion. Uh, there's not anyone out there that can stop this guy when he's on, uh, but he still lacks the ability to absolutely dominate a game the way LeBron is able to do so in every aspect of the game. Whether it's scoring, whether he has to go get 30 to 40 a night, Mm -hmm. whether it's rebounding and assists and being the ultimate facilitator like LeBron has been known to be, or whether it's uh, on the defensive side of the ball, where I think uh, Durant's improving, Mm -hmm. but I still think I see uh, LeBron over the course of his career and over the course of this era or decade a better overall defender the thing that i always like a a visual representation of lebron and maybe we can go versus durant or curry i think if you had like these power bars i think they take a bar graph and 10 is the top rating for an individual skill Mm -hmm. i think lebron has like eight and a halfs on every single skill set a basketball player can have it's like this flat straight plane whereas a kd is going to have this huge peak that might even be higher than lebron's in three-point shooting but then mm-hmm. he's going to have some valleys. Mm-hmm. Same for Curry. He's going to have this, oh, my God, three-point. He's a 12 on a 10 scale. But defensively, he's like a two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those things, LeBron has always been – I don't think he has a weakness. You could argue different people have had individual skill set. This one rating is better than LeBron's individual rating there. But combination, I don't think it's close with these four guys. I think LeBron across the board. Like last night – I mean, this is last night. The man goes for 40, 12, and 12 against Giannis, who's a freak of nature, body style, strength, length, and LeBron toys with the guy for four quarters, and he's 35 years old, 33 years old. Just visually, what's amazing to me watching LeBron now is that visually he's a better basketball player than he was Mm -hmm. uh, even three, four years ago at a a younger age when when a lot of people said he was really in his prime. Right. Uh, But visually speaking, just – from just watching it as a basketball fan and someone that's played, grew up playing this game, this is the best that I've seen him look. And that's mm-hmm. crazy to think when he's 33 years old and been in the league for 15 seasons. But his skills have improved drastically in so many different areas. And, I think he um, plays so comfortable. Like, I'm not sure anyone – I mean, like we mentioned the length, longevity of Kareem. And mm-hmm. LeBron is not yet to Kareem's length. But no. I know you could visually, like you mentioned, just physically you could see the deterioration in Kareem overall. Yep. LeBron looks better. 
than he mm-hmm. did when he was 27. And he's got such a command of the flow of basketball that, I mean, he's doing one hand fake pass bounce pass on a back cut flare that a coach would have to draw, you know, and he's just doing it in the game. Like, and he just plays so comfortable. Like, you know, I'm going to take a step back three. You know, it's coming. I know it's coming. I'm not going to rush it. Just going to yep. do it. Um, that, that part has been silly to me, how in tune with the flow of the game he is. It's to me, not even a question in this era. And uh-huh. I think, uh, we can put LeBron down as, as the, king of the ring of the 2010s uh-huh. and i think now you can actually discuss greatest of all time with lebron and jordan i don't think that was a discussion until now right no i and i is in that word isn't that enough said in and of itself for how good lebron is yes that people are oh even jordan fans like yourself are like yeah i'll have the conversation Mm-hmm. Like I will listen to some of your arguments. They might make sense when before, I mean, you could say, you could say, oh, Allen Iverson's better than Jordan. What? Get out of here. Yeah. Kobe's better than Jordan. Shut up. Keep drinking. No. You know, Thanks now me. people will actually stop and listen. Yes. I think you have to listen. I think yeah. you, you were, uh, and I loved Nick Wright's tweet. Um, I think it was this morning where he was saying, how can you not now? And I disagreed with it. To a certain extent, mm-hmm. I don't think you can say you don't have to say he's the greatest of all time. I think it, if I would have edited his tweet, I would have said something along the lines of how can you not how can you watch LeBron play now or over the course of his 15 year career and not be able to have the discussion of mm-hmm. him being the greatest of all time? Yep. I don't think you have to go as far as saying he's the greatest of all time, but I think you you can definitely have that discussion. and. You can throw out all the stats, and, and everyone's going to throw out the uh, six titles versus three titles, which I think to me, as we've kind of gone through this, mm-hmm. you really that doesn't come up that much when it's right. all said and done. When you're just talking about just players, yeah, that really didn't come up that much. Right? And maybe that was just our format, but I I don't think you can just exclude someone because he doesn't have as many NBA titles as the other guy. I think that's a ridiculous argument to just base it clearly just, just off the rings. That's, that's mm-hmm. insane. Or else Robert Ori Ori would be better than Michael Jordan. If right. you're just going off of that, that that's just, that's, you can't do that. Right. And if it was, and somebody like Kareem would stand up in the back of the room and be yelling at all of us. Yeah, exactly. Not, uh, it should be a three person argument then. Cause I have six, I have more points than both of them. Yes. It, Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Bill, Bill Russell's got 11, obviously. So he, he would have the ultimate trump card if it was right. just um, just based on rings. Yep. But, I mean, the guy has been to, what, eight NBA championships and took away three. Yep. Lost five. Could potentially go to, what is it, seven straight or eight straight, eight, nine eight total. Eight straight, I think, this year, yeah. That's ridiculous in itself. And for anyone to, to say otherwise and to actually knock him down a couple of spaces because he's lost however many NBA titles uh, or lost in the finals five times out of the eight times he's been there, that's that's absurd. I, you I have think to give people credit for getting there right. or, else, or else just lose in the first round or don't make the playoffs. Yeah. That's and a I stupid think people- argument. I think sometimes, once again, I'm a visual thinker. If you picture Jordan as this castle built up, you know, layer by layer by layer, I don't think me building LeBron up next to it means you have to tear down some of Jordan's stuff. I think that's where people get in trouble. In the argument either way is, oh, Jordan was actually terrible. No, 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 no. Jordan is every bit as great as all of us remember him to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not advocating that we reimagine Michael Jordan and take him down five five pegs. I'm just saying that this kid, he's not a kid anymore, obviously is doing a hell of a job to get as close to building his own tower as we've ever seen anybody do. That's a great point. I really, I like that analogy as far as building someone else up as opposed to tearing, tearing someone else down. Uh, That's a, that's a great way to look at it. And I think if we're going to do that and, and then LeBron James has built a castle that is above anyone that's came close Yep, to Michael Jordan. Uh, yep. Kobe Bryant built his castle the exact same way as Michael. 
tried to build it the exact same way, but never got it nearly as tall. Yep. His, his skill set was, was so identical. It was ridiculous. And I know most of you have probably seen the, the YouTube videos or the clips of when they've, uh, the mirror images of, of the two of them as far as different shots, their fadeaways, their just how they moved on the court is so eerily similar. It's ridiculous. But to me, that just says it right there. Why try and make an exact carbon copy of, of this greatness that was Michael Jordan instead of just doing your own thing and building your own castle its own way like LeBron has done? Yep. That stands out that much more to me. Yep. No, totally agree. Totally so, agree. What would be an argument if you were, per se, to argue for LeBron James, his castle is greater, his his resume is greater than Michael Jordan's? What would be your lead-in argument for that? I think it would be entirely based on LeBron's castle is physically stronger. So let's say Jordan's is made out of steel and LeBron's is made out of whatever's harder than Steve or vice versa just because of the physical body LeBron is a freaking he's a freak I've never seen anybody like him at that position with the combination of physical and that's not once again I'm not saying Michael Jordan I'm not reimagining him as an earthbound not laterally quick person he was phenomenal I Mm. think you add 35 pounds to Michael's frame plus four three and a half inches with a better handle and you have LeBron James Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, I think, is a better individual score. I think it's where Michael stands out. He's a better individual score, and you could probably make the argument that Michael is a much bigger asshole, and that was good in terms of winning. Like Michael was competitively ruthless. Mm-hmm. I think LeBron James is competitive, is super competitive, but I don't think he has that ruthless streak. I think LeBron James gives a damn what people think about him. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure Michael ever gave a damn what his teammates thought. Like, yep. hey, man, like either make that shot, Steve Kerr, or I'll punch you in the mouth, period. Mm-hmm. And LeBron's mm-hmm. probably going to err on the side of let me pump Steve Kerr up to make that shot. Mm-hmm. And again, those are all legitimate points, um, legitimate arguments. You can't argue the 6'8", 250, 260, 270. Some have listed him at 280. You, that's an argument that can't be debated. You, I can't come back at you and go, no, 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 wait. Jordan was actually 6'8", or Jordan, <laughs> Jordan was actually 250 pounds or or whatever. No, that that's an argument that can't be had. So you've got me in that regard. The thing that I would say, though, is to me, I think that because Jordan was smaller, I feel he was a better athlete overall. I feel if if it was like uh, if they went through a, a combine, mm. I think Jordan's numbers would stack up probably better than LeBron in certain categories. That that uh, for example, the vertical. I think Jordan would have a higher vertical than LeBron. I think right. Jordan would potentially be faster if you timed him from one end of the court to the other. Mm. I think Jordan would have probably quicker or uh, overall quickness would be better as far as his uh, lateral movement. If they did pro agility, three cone we're giving to Jordan for sure. <laughs> Yes, the, the yeah. three-cone drill, whatever. So that would be my argument against uh, that. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the skill set is concerned, uh, scoring is a no-brainer, obviously, yeah. like, you, like you touched upon. Although I think LeBron get, is underrated uh, when it comes to his ability to put the ball in the basket. Uh, the guy has scored over 30,000 points, um, and he, I think he did it quicker than anybody else in the league. Mm-hmm. Granted, he's played more games overall right. than, than MJ has already at this point in his career. Yeah. But I think LeBron is underrated in his ability to score the basketball, as we saw um, in the years that he was up to close to 30 points per game. I think he led the league in uh, one year at 30 points per game. Um, but MJ still the superior. He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, individual scorers of all time. Uh, but I think he's underrated as far as his individual defense is concerned. I know everybody wants to throw out this LeBron James can guard one through five. Yeah, physically, he matches up with one through five. Um, now, does that mean that you want to put LeBron on the best center in the world every night? No. Right. So don't tell me that he, yes, can he match up physically one through five? Yes. Is an ideal matchup every every time he does that? No, I'm sorry, but no. And it, mm-hmm. he's not an ideal against some of the quickest guards in the league. That ain't happening all the time. That's not an ideal matchup as mm-hmm. much as he would like it to be. MJ, to me, individually, if you were just going to say, if I'm guarding a two-guard or a three-guard, 
I'm taking MJ over LeBron in that regard. I would, I think I, I, I agree. I think there's another, once again, here I go. I think if I needed to get through a door and let's say winning a championship or scoring a bat, any skill on the basketball court is going through a door. I think that's locked. I think MJ has the ability to find and pick the lock where LeBron just runs it over. Yeah. That's and a I good think analogy. both of them work and it probably, it'll be interesting for me if LeBron's sheer brute force lasts, if he goes another three years at this level of performance, mm-hmm. that might, that might be the seal, the, the end of the discussion for me. Yeah. I, I figured yeah. with his physical, pure, like, power explosive combination right mm-hmm. that that would wear out a little bit and then you because michael even michael at the end when he wasn't as explosive could go to a post-up game with footwork unseen except for yeah. by kobe matching it yep. uh, LeBron, lebron's never been a guy that's like oh man did you see that fake right step through crossover rip through <laughs> you never but lebron's still at 33 blowing by and blowing through people yeah and if he can do that for I mean, it's silly what he's doing now. I, I think that would be an example that that would sway me towards. I would rather have the guy that blew the door down easily. But Michael, like, I don't think LeBron would has the toolkit that Michael did. Mm-hmm. I think he has a better sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. I know that's again really good analogy, and I I, I don't I can't argue with you on that either. Again, I, I keep coming back for myself. I keep saying visually, yeah. Where when you're just watching basketball as a basketball purist, and you're just watching it visually, Jordan's game was so much more appealing mm. than LeBron's. You think it's fair to say he mastered the art, and LeBron's kind of fit the art to him? Yes, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Right? Because like, yeah, I think you're totally right. Michael Jordan does stuff like you would put him on any film. You could make him a clinic for kids. I don't think you can show kids LeBron because that no. ain't going to be you, son. Because you can't, <laughs> you, you can't do that. You can't right. do what you will never. No one will be able to do what LeBron is doing because of his, like you said, his physical nature is so much different than, and or physical makeup is so much different than anybody else has been yeah. up to this point. Is that um, me selling Jordan short though on the athleticism? Because I mean, kids can't fly think- either. Yeah, that's. I think a lot of people have have kind of sold Jordan short in that regard because of uh, LeBron's six eight, two hundred and sixty pounds moving the yeah. way he does, which is unbelievable in its own right. Yeah, but you or you lose sight of how great of an athlete Michael Jordan really was. There's a reason why he was Michael Air Jordan. Yeah, um, like you said or pointed out, adjust his game as as his airness went away a little bit. And yeah he had to fall back on this skill set that still was phenomenal, including even when he was 39, 40 years old with the Washington Wizards, still averaging uh, 20 points, 22 plus, whatever it was over those last two seasons with the Wizards, even though he was obviously not himself um, as far as athleticism is concerned. But the thing that I'm anxious to watch, this is as far as LeBron James is concerned, is if he can continue on the track that he's on if he can continue to improve upon his skills the way he has over the course of the last however many years and continue the dominance that he's at and the rate that he's playing well into his mid-30s and into the years 17, 18, 19, that's when you you really start talking, okay, is this guy now the greatest player of all time? Cross the streams. Excuse me, Egon. You said crossing the streams was a bad. 